Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Hope Unlimited Church podcast. We're honored that you're here, and we pray that you find this message both encouraging and inspiring. six messages that I could preach and I arrived to the church this morning planning to preach one particular message and uh, in the irony of who God is I have changed my sermon because that's what we do when the spirit leads Um, so I have changed my message this morning so if it's terrible uh, see you next week (laughs) that's all I know to tell you Um, drop something in the offering and uh, forgive me And we will go forth into the rest of the series. But a spirit-led life, Galatians 5, and then Acts chapter 9 after that. And we're going to be reading from the New King James Bible. Somebody asked me this recently, last week. They asked me, they were like, are y'all like a real church? And I'm like, well, yeah. They're like, King James Bible and everything? And I was like, no, not that kind. Um, so, you know what's kind of ironic about people who are like desperately committed to the King James Version? It actually has the most errors of any translation that we know of. So, um, there you go. <laughs> hope you're not hope you're not too committed to it anymore because I just ruined it for you. So, Galatians five: Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit. Let us also walk in the Spirit. Here's what it says in the NLT. Those who belong to Christ have nailed their passions and desires of their sinful nature to His cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us also follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Acts chapter 9. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Let me translate. Paul went to the synagogue and ask for letters if people were following Jesus or not. Ask for people's names so that he could go capture them and bring them to Jerusalem to kill them. That's what was happening. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground where he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads, or it is hard for you to kick against the pricks. So he is trembling and astonished. And he said, 
Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you'll be told what you'll do from there. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the pricks. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us also follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Jesus, we thank you for your word this morning. We're thankful for you. God, let us lean into this Spirit-led life that I think that you want us to live. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for what you're doing. In your name, amen. Amen. Jansen, you keep it up this morning. You'll be up here the whole time. Everybody give Jansen a hand this morning. Jansen, I don't know what you did in that one song, but it's... <laughs> The devil attacked his keyboard this morning. I don't know if y'all heard it or not, but I did. I was like, man, we're fixing to get wild up in here. You know, you never know. You never know with all these tools they have today what they can do. Um, so I really was praying about what I wanted to start the year off talking about. And how many of you know that you can live a life that's not led by the Spirit. You know, you can live a life that's not Spirit-led. You know that, right? <laughs> How many of you have said or can say in here, I have lived a life that was not led by the Spirit before? Everybody raise y'all's hands. Y'all lying this morning. Sitting on the first day of the year, we're starting out poor. Okay? All, everybody in here. Lying in church. <laughs> One of my favorite things is when people say, you're lying in church, or you can't say that in church, or whatever, as if it would be appropriate to say it anywhere else, too. You know, saying that in church. <laughs> That's right. Jordan, Jordan just says everything in public, whether at church or not, and then repents later, it seems. David, you too. I see you nodding your head back there. <laughs> um, but I want to talk about this spirit-led life, and I really want to talk to you about a few things this morning. Again, uh, I think it's really funny that I walked in this morning and on my way to church, I began to feel a shift in my message, just like the spirit. I'm talking about a spirit-led life, and he's just like, mm, let's just take this little path here. And so I wrote this this morning, so if it's terrible, again, I apologize. See you next week. Um, I want to talk to you about an encounter I had with Jesus in the mall, just to kind of set all of this up. So walking through the mall, doing a little Christmas shopping, as one so does when you are married and have a child, and walking through the mall, and how many of you have been to the West Town Mall? How many of you have been there before? Everybody's like, I've been to the mall, yeah. Um, been to the West Town Mall. How many of you know where Starbucks is in the West Town Mall? Some of y'all are raising y'all's hands too fast on that. Um, anyways. There is a line of people standing at Starbucks, and I am frustrated that there's a line of people to begin with because I wanted a cold brew. I was just craving one. And I'm walking, and I was like, I'm not standing in this line. And I hear the Lord say, you don't have to. And I was like, you got a pass or something to the front that we're going to take here? What y'all got? 
And the Lord speaks this to me. Because there's a line of people, there's a crowd of people waiting on their Starbucks. And he says this. He says, never settle for something that is generic, that draws a crowd over something that is genuine and authentic. Never settle for something that is generic, that draws a crowd over something that is genuine and authentic. And so, like, as you go on past the Starbucks, there is another coffee shop down there that has much better coffee than Starbucks. And so I, I just walk on down, and there is no line to get to that. I just walk in, I order my cold brew, and then I walk back the other way, and I pass all the people who I've been standing with in the Starbucks line. There is a way of life inside of the Christian faith that is, I think, being presented and has been presented as the ways of Jesus that are totally not his ways. That are totally not his way of life. And I think that way draws crowds. And that way of church draws crowds. And that way of preaching draws crowds. And that way of leading worship draws crowds. And I'm not saying that there's something inherently wrong with a crowd. I'm saying that in today's culture, you can get a lot of people coming to your church very quickly if you just do what everybody else is doing. If you become generic, if you become watered down, if you become something that doesn't have its own kind of flavor to it. How do I know this? Because I've been there. I've done it. I've got the t-shirt and all the receipts, and I can tell you how to do all of it. But at the end of the day, the ways of Jesus are supposed to be practiced in a way that come off as genuine and authentic, not generic. And in order to do this, you have to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, right? Like, the Christian life is not just about you reading the Bible, praying, coming to church, and that being the end of it. The ways of Jesus are practiced in the everyday. And if you want that to be real, you have to learn to follow the leading of the Spirit. You can copy other people. You can. You can do what everybody else is showing you to do. And in sometimes that actually is a good thing. Paul said this, follow me as I follow Jesus. Right? But you want to be sure that you're actually following someone who's following Jesus. Listen, one of the, one of the, the hardest things I think to get people to understand is, is that in order for there to be something that is a counterfeit, there has to be something that is real, right? There has to be something that is real about following Jesus because we know that there are tons of counterfeits, right? And so for this to be real, it has to look like a life that is led by the Spirit. It has to look like a life that is submersed into His life into his leading, into his guidance. And a lot of times, I read this passage 
from Acts chapter 9 this morning, a lot of times what happens is, is that when, when Jesus says, Saul, why do you persecute me? Why do you kick against the pricks? The, the way that you become generic is that you ignore the pricks when Jesus is trying to lead you one way or the other. You ignore that little voice that says, hey, you probably shouldn't murder Christians. <laughs> right? Even though what was so, I think, peculiar about this is Paul technically wasn't doing anything wrong. He was following the law. But there was, a, there was a superior way of life that Jesus was trying to invite him into. And he was pricking him and pricking him and pricking him and pricking him. And Paul kept ignoring it. The way that you become generic and the way that you, the way that you don't have your own flavor, the way that the, the taste of salt and, and, the, and the light that Jesus talks about, the way that that is diminished in you is that you ignore those pricks. The way that you become generic is that you ignore the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you where you see this the most. Worship leaders. Because Bethel does it, I can do it. That's stupid. Because Elevation does it, I can do it. Dumb. That's so dumb. Why would you think that? Right? Or because your favorite pastor does it, then you can probably do it too. Right? What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? Or is it just you don't even know him? Or has your walk with God, have, has it always been riding the coattail of your favorite leader? Has it always been piggybacking off of somebody else's ear to hear God? A life led by the Spirit is not just for me. It's not just for pastors and leaders. It's for you. Your world needs you to be led by the Spirit. The people that you see on a regular basis, they need you to hear when Jesus is pricking you about something. They need you to understand that this is not just a religious thing that we are practicing on a regular basis, even though there is, a, there is an element of that that is good and true and both beautiful. They need you to live a life that is led by the Spirit, that is saturated in the presence of God, that's not generic. I saw somebody the other day posted something. Somebody sent it to me in a screenshot. It's like, you need to read your Bible this year. How are you going to know how to please God if you don't, know, if you don't read your Bible? <laughs> I was like, man, it's tough. First of all, we need to deal with the fact that if you think that you read your Bible, that that pleases God, because it doesn't. God's pleased, was pleased in Jesus. So if you read your Bible or not, God's still happy. You don't get to upset him. You're not pulling the strings of his emotions. Right? So someone read their Bible one day, I'm happy. Read the Bible the next day. Ah, they didn't read enough. Not today. 
I was told if I ever wanted to be a pastor and a leader that I needed to read six chapters a day. Six a day. That's right, Pedro. It doesn't matter which six chapters that you read. I read Jude one time six times. <laughs> Real short. Psalm 23, read it six times. And I felt fulfilled that I was going to be a real pastor and a leader one day. You need to live a life that doesn't ignore when God begins to prick you about something. That he begins to nudge you in a certain direction. I'm afraid in the way that we are going in this in following Jesus, we are becoming so generic that we are watering down what it means to feel a nudge from the Spirit. We're watering it down. We're not making it sacred anymore. And because you deconstructed doesn't mean that you're now the Holy Ghost. Also, too, have some more thoughts about deconstruction that I'll share with you this morning. If you're not quoting people like Gregory of Nyssa and Anthanasius, you haven't deconstructed. You're mad. You're just mad. Really, really mad. You're mad because your faith is generic. And it's crumbled and it's boring and it will be. If you just follow the leading of everybody else's nudge. There are good parts about the deconstruction movement. Don't get me wrong. We've done some dumb stuff in our time that we need to stop doing. But like I know some people who legitimately, they have become so jaded in the process, they wouldn't know his voice if he just walked into the room and started talking. And you can't ever get to that place. Deconstruct the dumb. Right? Deconstruct the dumb. But please leave the Holy Spirit a place to do whatever he wants. Right? So, how do you stay sensitive to the, to the pricks? How do you stay that way? I'm telling you, you got to be sensitive to God. Right Now we can just go home because I told you this morning all you need to do is be sensitive. Amen. That's right. It's 11.24. And beat the crowd to Cracker Barrel. Isn't that right, Kelby? Multiple biscuits. You know they stopped serving you multiple biscuits and I believe that's a shame. I believe that is an absolute shame. We should part-time boycott or something. Shame. Becoming a den of thieves. How do I stay sensitive how do I stay sensitive? How do I not ignore the pricks? I have a few examples this morning that I just want to show you or talk to you about. How many of you remember Moses' encounter with God at the burning bush? Do you remember that? Bush catches on fire. Moses is walking through life. And a bush just lights up into flames. And God tells him to come closer but before he does, does anybody remember what he says for him to do? That's what I'm 
So I'm like, y'all know the Bible better than I thought y'all did. Let's go. Take off your shoes. Raising a young child, walking around the house with no shoes on, I found is a very good way to stay sensitive to what you're walking on. Because there are now toy cars scattered throughout my home and small remotes and things that I don't even know what they are. We just got them for Christmas. But when you, when you, it's not just random that God told him to take off his shoes in the middle of the desert. There are all sorts of prophetic meanings that you could probably go into. But I think even more for us this morning is I'm saying take your shoes off. It's just a call to slow down. Don't be in a hurry. Sit and allow whatever God wants to do in that ordinary moment where there's a burning bush, sit and allow him to do whatever he wants to do in that moment. Most of the time, in that moment, what God was doing in Moses was he was teaching him how to be aware of God's presence. How many of you ever just walked into somewhere before and you just sensed the tangible presence of God? And I'm not talking about church. I'm talking about like a gas station. Or Walmart. We don't go to Walmart anymore here. We have a Target. Sorry. Maybe you still shop at Walmart. Don't know. I won't go to Walmart unless I have to. I've been delivered from that place. Been set free. Then we do that Walmart pickup. We do the Walmart pickup in our house. We were doing the Walmart delivery, but I don't know what happened to that. Preferred that better. I think they may have sent us the, the wrong stuff too many times, and, and I got mad, so um, we stopped doing the delivery. But how many of you have ever walked in somewhere before, and you just sense God's presence? How many of you have ever been in a conversation with someone before, and you just sense the presence of God? I've been in conversations with people we wasn't even talking about God and I sensed his presence. Right? The first thing that I think the spirit does and that he teaches us as we live a spirit-led life is he teaches us how to be aware of where he is. Because when we become aware of where God is, then we can really lean into what he's trying to do. And in that moment, he may be wanting you to say something to someone. He may be wanting you to buy someone's dinner. He may be wanting, he may be wanting you to give someone $1,000. He may be wanting to do something in a moment that creates this reaction in your life and theirs. How many of you can, like, you remember, they're not highlights in your walk with God, or you wouldn't consider them highlights, but they're little moments that you can look back on and you would say, if not for that conversation or if not for that one moment that I had with that person or if not for that one time in church when uh, Pastor Cole was preaching and he went off topic and he said something and it really stuck with me. How many of you remember those moments? Or you can look back over your life and your walk with God and you can say, man, I don't really know what happened in that moment, but something did. Something happened in me that caused me to 
be where I am today. Can I tell you, like, a, this is not a, this is not really a, like, a, I wouldn't consider it a, quote, unquote, highlight in my walk with God. Or you wouldn't put this on a highlight film when it's like, oh, what is Cole's walk with God like? Before I moved here, actually, where, is Tom here? No, he's working security. They're working security. We ate at, uh, we ate at this place in Hamilton. And I just felt like I was supposed to reach out to him to receive some of his wisdom. And we ate at this place in Hamilton that has now closed. And there have been four restaurants there since. And it is three years later. So um, we were eating at this place in Hamilton. And he actually was like, I think you moving to Knoxville would be a really good idea. And then he also said that moving to Knoxville was pretty much off the table for him. He's here. <laughs> yeah. But in that moment, you wouldn't put that on a highlight reel, but I would not probably I probably wouldn't be here if not for that conversation. And there was a there was when I left, I sensed the presence of God. And in that moment, I felt a nudge to listen to the wisdom that I had just been given. If you were going to live a spirit-led life, you have got to commit to becoming more aware of the presence of God. You've got to. Listen, this moment for Moses became holy ground. But it was really ordinary before God showed up. Where in your life needs to become holy ground where you sit for a minute, you take your shoes off, and you let God do exactly what he would like to do in you. What ordinary moment is God trying to show you this can become holy ground? What ordinary place needs to become holy ground? This, the spirit, I think he teaches us about awareness. And once he gets to that, then he teaches us that we become aware of him really moment by moment. Because that's really how he works. Moment by moment. Meaning like you're at a drive through and you hear the spirit tell you to pay for the persons behind you. I'll follow you to Zaxby's if you want to test that one out today. <laughs> Just saying. This is a moment-by-moment moment sensitivity. It's a moment-by-moment moment engagement. And we have such a tough time believing that God wants to be with us in every moment. And so a lot of times we don't engage with God moment-by-moment. Moment. We engage with Him Sunday-to-Sunday. Sunday. Or Sunday-Wednesday-Sunday. We don't believe that God wants to be with us in every moment, mainly because we have a wrong view of who God is. We don't invite God, and this is the most difficult part, we don't invite God into our messy moments most of the time. We don't invite God into our doubt. We don't invite God, invite God into our unbelief. We don't invite God into the places that we've been taught that He doesn't go. 
One of the most heretical things that we have taught in the history of the church is that God and sin can't be in the same place at the same time. It's heresy. I want you to think about this. <laughs> Just go take a scroll through the Gospels, right? And Jesus is found with a prostitute at a well. God and sin can't be in the same spot, brother. Jesus is found with a woman who's caught in the act of adultery. God and sin can't be. I think Jesus probably has something to say about that. I heard someone this week actually sent Kelby this video. I heard someone say this week that God is more holy than he is loving. Fantastic, sir. Man, great job. Awesome. He's more holy than he is loving. Like saying that is like saying God is more kind than he is good. He is both. He is all of those things. Right? He, he cannot lack in one area. So God's love is actually his holiness. Right? God's love is holy. Right? It is jealous for anything that comes between you and him. God's holiness is not anger at you. God's holiness is not anger at you. God's wrath is not even aimed at you. It's aimed at the things in you that make you not like Him. And God isn't some schizophrenic grandpa that like shoots at one deer and hits the other one. God doesn't aim at the sin in your life and hit you and cause collateral damage. And if you think that's who He is, then obviously you don't believe that He's good. Right? Could you imagine... Could you imagine, I know I've said this before, but I'm just, just going to stop here for a moment and maybe mess with our thinking about who God is. Could you imagine, Beckham has been really uh, challenging as of late. When I say really challenging, I mean um, he asked for the banana, but it's not the right banana. But it's the only banana we have left, right? There is no other bananas in the house. And so he just stands there and looks at the counter and like, I want a banana. It's like, this is the banana that you want. No. Shakes his head. No. And he also feeds our dog, which we've asked him not to do 12,000 times. But Winston is his friend. And so he throws his food in the floor when he's done to feed Winston. When he's done, it's all done, just starts throwing it. It's like, Winston, come on. So Winston and Beckham have a great relationship. But it's putting a strain on my relationship with Winston because he's becoming disobedient. And that is going to be problematic. 
We paid for him to be obedient. And now that payment is wearing off. And I'm having a problem. But could you imagine that every time that Beckham was disobedient, I decided that he needed, you know, like I needed to go to him and I needed to do something to make him remember that what, he was, he, what he's done is wrong. But in the process, I hurt him. Could you imagine that? What would you call me? Abusive. I would hope that you would. If Beckham does something wrong, and I say, okay, we got to go put your hand on the stove so that you'll remember not to do this again. I hope you would call me a psychopath. And I hope that you would call the police. But you think that's what God does to you. That's what you think hell is. Most of you. That's what you think it is. When I do wrong, God burns me with fire for all of eternity. Wrong. It's not true. Paul says this. Gold, precious stones, wood, stubble, clay. All of it is going to be tried by fire. And whatever is of Jesus will remain. And whatever is not will be burned in the fire. Listen, so that the soul of a man will be saved. The fire of God is to burn all the things out of you that are not like Him. And sometimes that manifests through hellacious situations. Right? And so, when we are trying to follow a life of the Spirit, when we're trying to be led by the Spirit, becoming aware of His presence, being in a moment-by-moment life with God, is so important. Those two things are so important. And then, inviting Him into those moments that you don't think that He wants to be in. Listen, I think what we've done not in this church, but in the church at large, is we have said that God is close to the brokenhearted. And we've said all of these things. God goes to these people who were caught up in all of these situations, and, it, and they are caught up in situations for sure. And he goes to those people, and he sits with them. That is true. But it's not because God loves chaos. It's because God loves you. It's not because God loves the brokenness that you are in. He doesn't. He's going to try that by fire. Because most of the time, it is due to a false sense of, sorry, it is due to a false reality that we have about God. And so when we think about this life with God being led by the Spirit. Do you invite Him into all of the moments? The good moments, the bad moments, the moments of frustration, all of those moments. Do you invite Him into those places? And the only reason that you would not invite Jesus into a moment is because you don't think that He wants to be there. 
and you're wrong. <laughs> you're wrong. He wants to be with you. That is the entire reason for the incarnation of Jesus. He wanted to be with us. He's God among us. And then he died, defeated death, hell, the grave, all the things, seated in heaven, right? And now his spirit is on the inside of you. And now that his spirit is on the inside of you, we are now tasked with living the life that he lived. Did you, did you notice something? It's very peculiar that Paul writes this message in this way. He says, I want you to go find those who are practicing the way. They are practicing this way of life. And I want you to bring them to me. I want you to bind them. And I'm going to kill them. That was his point. He was going to kill them. You need to go find those people. There needs to be something so peculiar about your walk with God that people are just like, There's, I don't really know how to describe it. We'll just call it, they practice this way of life that sets them apart for, from, from everything else. Right? And when we begin to practice this way of life and God begins to show up to us in the moments of life when we least expect it. Jansen, you can come on up. In the moments of life where we least expect it. Where we don't really know what's happening or what's going on or why he even showed up in this moment. When Jesus shows up to our John 8 moment where the woman is caught in the act of adultery. When Jesus shows up to us in our Zacchaeus moment. Right? When we're just looking for Jesus, but there's wickedness in our hearts. When Jesus shows up into all of those moments, that is where you learn who He is. Asking God to show up in a moment where everybody's laid out on the floor and nobody has a financial issue and nobody has problems or nobody has any issues, that teaches you one thing. When He shows up, in these moments of painful suffering, that teaches you another thing. When he shows up into our brokenness, not because we're broken, but because we're there, that teaches you something about the faithfulness of God. That teaches you something about the presence of God. That teaches you something about his nature. It teaches you something about his character. I was sharing this before uh, in huddle today. Most of our problem in the church in America is that all of our theology is not incarnational. Meaning that it has not become real. It, they're just thoughts. They're just really good ideas that really, there's no way for you to really practice any of this. It's just cool buzzwords. Right? And everybody knows how to sing the Christian lingo. It ain't hard. Hang around for like six months and you'll learn it. But think about this. Do you want something generic? Or do you want something that is genuine and authentic? Because there is a life in God that can be genuine and authentic. But if you settle 
for this type and this way of Christianity that just draws a crowd and draws all these people and 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 you're dr we're dropping albums and we're rushing and having 19 Christmas services and all of that fun stuff if you settle for that you will be just that and it's generic it's the same up the road I have been to them I have put them on I have emceed them I have done it all And the question that we're asking at the end of the day, almost every single time, how many people were there? And the reason we want to know how many people were there so that we can text our friends to say, this how many people we had at church. Awesome. They had like 120 in the upper room. Jesus had like three on the Mount of Transfiguration. Drake can draw a crowd. A big one. Your favorite band will draw a crowd. But at the end of the day, they don't have anything real to offer you. But just another experience. It's not a way of life. A spirit-led life is a total reconstruction of the way that you even view reality. There, somebody asked me the other day, it's like, Pastor Cole, what's your routine? What's your routine? What's your prayer routine? I was like, hmm, probably not going to like the answer to this. I usually wake up around 7.30 or so. I start praying I go to bed around 10.30 or so. And that's my prayer routine. I walk with God. And if I feel a nudge to slip away, then I will. But I'm in a constant state of communion with God. And that is the life that you are supposed to live. Let me, let me like also like say this too. This is not like this... Uh, like living in constant communion with God is not all that it's cracked up to be in the sense of you are going to feel awesome about this all the time. Because sometimes He is going to prick you in ways that do not feel great. But they are only good. Let me ask you this. How do you reconcile? This is, a, this is a question I've been wanting to ask a lot of people. So I'll ask you. How do you reconcile Paul, Saul, being knocked off of a stallion? Horse. He's knocked off a horse. How do you reconcile that idea? Paul is knocked off of a horse with... God never does anything that will make you uncomfortable. Or He never pricks you in a way that will never make you a bit uncomfortable. How do you reconcile those two ideas? Because you're one day riding on a stallion on the way to Jerusalem. I mean, Kentucky Derby winner speed. 
and, and God blinds you and knocks you off a horse and then sends somebody to heal you. How do you reconcile that with God will never make me do anything that I'm not really comfortable with doing? Because He most certainly will. Because God doesn't care about all of the things that we care about. Right? So, like for instance, in this new year, the Spirit may prick you in a way that violates your values as a human. Good. What if it's not in alignment with your Enneagram? What if it's not in alignment with your personality profile? What if it makes you uncomfortable and nervous? Because I can tell you, if I got knocked off of a horse and I was all of a sudden blind, I would have a lot of questions. Yo, couldn't go about this in a different direction. The problem is, is that he tried. That's why Jesus asked him, why do you kick against the pricks? Here's what I have learned about God. You do not get a vote in this. You don't have votes in following Jesus. If you still have votes, then you're not following Him. You do not get a vote in what He asks you to do or not to do. And so what does that look like for you? What does a life that's led by the Spirit look like for you? What if He asks you to do things that He's never asked you to do before? You just do them. Or you're going to end up doing them. And I have found that it's just, early, it's, it's just best to tap early. Right, Stephen? Learn that train in jiu-jitsu. Somebody gets you in a spot that you're uncomfortable. Just tap, dog. You're about to get your arm broke off. Paul was blinded and knocked off of a horse. But he had all of these opportunities. He was pricked and 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 he was pricked. But the more that you resist, the harder your heart gets. The more that you ignore those nudges, the less sensitive you become to them. You ever met someone before? You can stand to your feet. You ever met someone before? There used to be this uh, thing on the History Channel or something. can't remember, but... It's like, it's not man versus what It's called dual survivor. You ever watch that show? Well, I want to know how to survive in the wilderness if I get caught out there. So I will and y'all won't. So but I used to watch this show called dual survivor. And there was this guy on there who was, he had taken his shoes off and he had not wore shoes in like 20 years. And so he could like, travel across terrain that normal people would have needed shoes for without shoes on. He killed all the sensitivity 
in the bottom of his feet over that time so he could step across things that could actually hurt him really bad and he would never know it. This is what you do when you, because to do that, you have to ignore the fact that it's going to hurt for a minute. To get to that place, you have to ignore all the rocks that you step on. You have to ignore all the, all the thorns that you step on. You have to ignore everything that causes you pain. You have to miss the natural nudge that says, go buy some Nikes, dog. Buy some hiking boots. We do the same thing with God. We do the same thing with God. We ignore Him when He pricks us over and over and over and over again. And over time, we become desensitized to the Spirit's working in our life. And do you want to tell you the people who struggle the most with this? The people who have been in church the longest. Because you've let that pricking get familiar Never let that get familiar. Always let it be an excitement, a thing of joy, even if it's something that He asks you to do that makes you what the Spirit even leads us to do anyway is take our passions and desires to the cross to crucify them. Right? And so I want our church to live Spirit-led lives. Not these structured, formatted ways of living, even though some of that is good. All the Enneagram ones in here just had an anxiety attack and when I said I was taking all your structure away. Sorry. Consult with God, not me. I'm just a vessel. <laughs> Lauren, sorry. But I want us to live spirit-led lives. That's my prayer for us this year. And that's where we're going to hang out for a few weeks. And I'll have a more prepared sermon for you next week because I didn't prepare this one until like 8.30 so but I want us to live lives that don't ignore the pricks so this morning I want us to pray together and if you need prayer for anything we're going to have some people come down to the front and they'll be willing to pray for you if not after I pray and you can be dismissed to go pick up your kids or you can stay in worship as long as you leave. But I want to pray for us and you stretch your hands towards Jesus with me this morning. Father, I thank you this morning for your presence. God, I thank you for the pricks. I thank you for the goads. I thank you for the things that, that keep nudging us to run one way or run another way or to talk to this person or to talk to that person. Father, I thank you for those things, those Holy Spirit nudges. You are good and your mercy endures forever. God, give us a perspective that everything that you're doing in our lives and in our world, you are good. And you have a plan and we can trust you. Even if it looks like us not knowing what's happening for a few days, even if it looks like Paul getting knocked off of a horse and being blind. Father, I pray that you would teach us about your nature so we would learn to trust you. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for all that you're doing in our church. In Jesus' name, amen.